This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I've done a lot of big things. I've never done anything like this. Just took your breath away. A little bit, a little bit. And I think um, I realized that this is a whole different life for me now. In his first television interview... The president-elect seemed more subdued than the candidate had been. And Donald Trump surprised us when fundamental positions of his seemed open to negotiation. Are you really going to build a wall? Yes. They're talking about a fence in the Republican Congress. Would you accept a fence? Uh, For certain areas, I would. Five days after the election, demonstrators across the country are protesting his victory. We asked about that and reports that some of his supporters have acted in threatening ways. They're harassing Latinos, Muslims. I am so saddened to hear that. And I say, stop it, if it, if it helps. I, I will say this, and I'll say it right to the camera, stop it. I'm Steve Croft. I'm Scott Pelley. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Leslie Stahl. Our interview with the president-elect tonight on 60 Minutes. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. During what seemed an interminable campaign, a divided country found all kinds of ways to describe Donald Trump. Visionary businessman, vulgar self-promoter, political neophyte, 
But after Tuesday, for all Americans, there's only one description that counts, president-elect. Since the election, demonstrations against him have broken out in over a dozen cities across the country, and people on both sides are on edge. What we discovered in Mr. Trump's first television interview as president-elect was that some of his signature issues at the heart of his campaign were not meant to be taken literally, but as opening bids for negotiation. Tonight, you will also hear from his family about whether they'll play roles in a Trump presidency. But we begin with President-elect Trump, whom we interviewed Friday in his penthouse home in the Trump Tower. Well, congratulations, Mr. Thank Trump. You. You're president-elect. Thank you. How surprised were you? Well, I really felt we were doing well. I was on a string of about 21 straight days of speeches, sometimes many a day. And the last two days, I really, I really had a pretty wild time. I did six speeches, and then I did seven. And but I everyone had, thought you were going to lose. I know. Everyone. I did my final speech in Michigan at 1 o'clock in the morning, and we had 31,000 people, many people outside of the arena. And I felt, when I left, I said, how are we going to lose? We set it up a day before, and we had all of these people, and it was literally at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I said, this doesn't look like second place. So we were really happy. I mean, it, it was, these are great people. On election night. I heard you went completely silent. Was it a sort of realization of the enormity so. of this thing for I you? I think so. It's enormous. I've done a lot of big things. I've never done anything like this. It is, it is so big. It is so, uh, it's so enormous. It's so amazing. Kind of just took your breath away. Couldn't talk. A, a little bit. A little bit. And I think um, I realized that this is a whole different life for me now. Hillary called you. Tell us about that phone call. So Hillary called, and it was a lovely call. And it was a tough call for her. I mean, I can imagine. Tougher for her than it would have been for me, and for me it would have been very, very difficult. Uh, she couldn't have been nicer. Uh, she just said, congratulations, Donald. Well done. And I said, I want to thank you very much. You were a great competitor. She's very strong and very smart. What about Bill Clinton? Did you talk he to did. him? He called the next day. Really? What did he say? Actually called last night. What did and he say? He, uh, he couldn't have been more gracious. He said it was an amazing run, uh, one of the most amazing he's ever seen. Uh, said that. He was very, very, um, really very nice. It was a pretty nasty campaign. Do you regret any of the things you said about her? Well, it was a double side nasty. I mean, they were tough, and I was tough. And uh, do I regret? I mean, I'm sitting here with you now, and we're going to do a great job for the country. We're going to make America great again. I mean, that's what it, it began with. That, and that's where we are right now. There's so many so things. So no, that can no be regrets done. about. I can't regret. No, um, I wish it were softer. I wish it were nicer. I wish maybe even it was more in policy or whatever you want to say. But. Mm -hmm. But I will say that um, it really, it really is something that I'm very proud of. I mean, it was a tremendous campaign. Can we talk about yesterday yes. with President Obama? Sure. Ninety minutes. You were scheduled for what? Fifteen. Fifteen max. We talked about foreign policy. We talked about domestic policy. This was going to be just a quick little chat, and it lasted close to an hour and a half, and it could have gone on for four hours. 
It, I mean, it was just, in fact, it was almost hard breaking it up because we had so many things to say. And he told me the good things and the bad things. I mean, there are things that are tough right now. And like what? Give us, give well, us some I meat. Mean, look, I don't want to divulge, but we talked about the Middle East. That's tough. It's a tough situation. I wanted to get his full view. And I got his full, you know, I got a good part of his view. Mm -hmm. And I like having that because I'm going to be inheriting that in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. um, I found him to be terrific. I found him to be uh, very smart and very nice, uh, great sense of humor, as much as you can have a sense of humor talking about tough subjects, but we were talking about some pretty tough subjects. Um, and we were talking about some victories also, you know, some things that, that he feels very good about. But, like, uh, well, what I really wanted to focus on was um, Middle East, North Korea, Obamacare is tough. You know, health care is a tough situation oh, right now. I bet he asked you not to undo well, it. he didn't ask me, no. He, he told me, you know, the merits and the difficulties, and we understand that. You looked pretty sober sitting there in the Oval Office. Did something wash over you? Or? No, I think I'm a sober person. I think the press tries to make you into something uh, a little bit different. In my case, a little bit of a wild man. I'm not. I'm actually not. I'm a very sober person. But it was respect for the office. It was respect for the president. Uh, again, I'd never met him before, but we had... We had a very good chemistry going, and, and, and I really found, it might not be that I agree with him, but I really found the, the conversation unbelievably interesting. I want to uh, emphasize to you, uh, Mr. President-elect, that uh, you know, we now are going to uh, want to do everything we can to help you succeed, because if you succeed, then the country succeeds. Was it at all awkward? at all, given what you said about each other. You said he was not born in this country. He said things about you. He said you're you know what? It was, it unqualified. Was a very, it was a very interesting thing because and a few people have asked me from my family, what was that first period of time like? Yeah. We never discussed what we said about each other. I said terrible things about him. He said terrible things about me. We never, ever discussed what we said about each other. There was other. no awkwardness. I'll be honest, from my standpoint, zero. Zero. And, and that's strange. I'm actually surprised to tell you that. It's, you know, a little bit strange. In the future. Thank you, sir. Do you think that the, your election is a repudiation of his presidency? No, I think it's a moment in time where politicians for a long period of time have let people down. Uh, they've let him down on the job front. They've even let him down in terms of the war front. You know, we've been fighting this war for 15 years. This we've was spent, the message of your campaign. We've spent $6 trillion in the Middle East, $6 trillion. We could have rebuilt our country twice. And you look at our roads and our bridges and our tunnels and all of the... And our airports, they're like obsolete. And I think it was just a repudiation of what's been taking place over a longer period of time than that. You know, you surprised everyone by winning the primaries, beating 17 other Republicans, or 16, whatever. Yeah. People are really surprised that you won this election. Are people going to be surprised about how you conduct yourself as president? You know, I'll conduct myself uh, 
in a very good manner, but depends on what the situation is. Sometimes you have to be rougher. When I look at when I look at the world and you look at how various places are taking advantage of our country, and I say it, and I say it very proudly, it's going to be America first. It's not going to be what we're doing. We, we've we've lost. We're losing this country. We're losing this country. That's why I won the election. And by the way, won it easily. I mean, I won easily. Are that you going to sometimes thing. have that same rhetoric that you had on the stump? Or are you going to rein it in? Sometimes you need a certain rhetoric to get people motivated. I don't want to be just a little nice monotone character. And in many can cases, I will be sure <laughs> I can. I can be easily. That's easier. Honestly, doing that is easier. So let's go through very quickly some of the promises you made and tell us if you're going to do what you said or are you going to change sure. it in any way. Um, are you really going to build a wall? Yes. They're talking about a fence in the Republican Congress. Sure. Would That's you okay. accept a fence? Uh, for certain areas, I would, but certain areas the wall is more appropriate. I'm very good at this. This is called construction. But so part wall, fence part be, fence? Yeah, it could be, there could be some fencing. What about the pledge to deport millions and millions of undocumented immigrants? What we are going to do is get the people that are criminal and have criminal records, gang members, drug dealers. We have a lot of these people, probably two million. It could even be three million. We're getting them out of our country or we're going to incarcerate. But we're getting them out of our country. They're here illegally. After the border is secured and after everything gets normalized, we're going to make a determination on the people that you're talking about who are terrific people. They're terrific people, but we're going to make a determination at that. But before we make that determination, Leslie, it's very important. We want to secure our border. We had a fantastic, productive meeting. So you were with Paul Ryan. You met with the Republican leadership. What was the one thing that you all agreed you want to get done right away? Well, I would say there was more than one thing. There were three things. There was health care. There was immigration. And there was a, a major tax bill lowering taxes in this country. We're going to substantially simplify and lower the taxes. And you've got both houses. And, and I both houses, and we have the presidency. So we can do things you that can are... can do things like a, a long time since that's happened. And they gave me a lot of credit. Don't forget, I was abused four or five weeks ago. They said I was going to, instead of having all three, we're going to lose all three. So that was good. But... Those are the three things that we really discussed. You said that um, lobbyists own politicians yeah. because they give them money. You admitted you sure. used to do it yourself. And, you have and a transition lobbyists, team. lobbyists and special interests. And you want to get rid of all of that. I don't like it, no. You don't like it. But your own transition team is filled with lobbyists. It's the only people you have down there. You have All lobbyists you have from lobbyists. Verizon. Can you I have be? lobbyists from the oil gas industry. Sure. You have food, food lobbyists. Everybody's a lobbyist down there. That's no, what wait. they are. They're lobbyists. They're special On your interests. own transition We're trying team. to clean up Washington. Look. How can you clean everything, up? Everything down there. There are no people. They're all people that work. That's the problem with the system. The system. Right now, we're going to clean it up. We're, we're having restrictions on foreign money coming in. We're going to put on term limits, which a lot of people aren't happy about, but we're putting on term limits. We're doing a lot of things to clean up the system. But everybody that works for government, they then leave government and they become a lobbyist, essentially. I mean, the whole place is a, it's one big, big lobbyist. Yeah, you're basically saying you have to rely on them, even though you want to 
get rid of them. I'm saying that they know the system right now, but we're going to phase that out. You have to phase it out. Let's talk about your cabinet. Okay. Have you made any decisions? Yes. Tell us. Well, I can't tell you that, but I have made some decisions. You know, the amazing things, to show you the the incredible nature of our country, uh, first of all, every major leader and probably less than major leader has called me, and I've spoken to many of them, and I'll call the rest of them, but... And I said, boy, this really shows you how powerful our country is. France and UK and, I mean, everybody, uh, all over Asia. And very just to congratulate, but it really shows the power of our country. One of the things you're going to obviously get an opportunity to do is name someone to the Supreme Court. And I assume you'll do that quickly. Very important. During the campaign, you said that you would appoint justices who were against abortion rights. Will you appoint, are you looking to appoint a justice who wants to overturn Roe v. Wade? Look, here's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to put, I'm pro-life. The judges will be pro-life. They'll be... But what about overturning this law? There are a couple of things. They'll be pro-life. They'll be, uh, in terms of uh, the whole gun situation, we know the Second Amendment, and everybody's talking about the Second Amendment, and they're trying to dice it up and change it. Uh, they're going to be very pro-Second Amendment. But having to do with abortion, what it, if, if it ever were overturned, it would go back to the states. So yeah, it would go back to the some states. Some women states, won't be able to get an abortion. No, it'll go back to the states. By state? No, some... Yeah. Well, they'll perhaps have to, go to want... another, they'll have to go to another state. And that's I mean, okay. It, well, we'll see what happens. It's got a long way to go, just so you understand. That has a long, long way to go. Are you in any way intimidated, scared about this enormous burden, the gravity of what you're taking on? No. Not at all. I respect it, but I'm not scared by it. No, you're not scared. But there are people, Americans, who are scared, and some of them are demonstrating right now, demonstrating against you, against your rhetoric, that's and only because you. they don't know me. I, I really believe that. That's well, only they because listen they to you me. in the campaign, and that's... I, I just don't think they know me. What do I you think they're demonstrating against? Well, I think in some cases you have professional protesters, and we had it, uh, if you look at WikiLeaks, uh, we You think had, those people down there are Well, Leslie, yeah, I think... Oh, I think some of them will be professional. Okay, yeah, look, but what about... I had they're it. in every city. When they demonstrate against you and there are signs out there, I mean, don't you say... To yourself, I guess you don't. You know, do I have to worry about this? Do I have to go out and assuage them? Do I have to tell them not to be afraid? They're afraid. I would tell them, don't be afraid. Absolutely. But that's not what you're saying. I said it. Oh, I think, no, no, I think I'm saying it. I've been saying it. Okay. Don't be afraid. We are going to bring our country back. But certainly don't be afraid. You know, we just had an election. And sort of like... You have to be given a little time. I mean, people are protesting. If Hillary had won, and if my people went out and protested, everybody would say, oh, that's a terrible thing. And it would have been a much different attitude. There is a different attitude. You know, there's a double standard here. Not my president! It has been five full days since the election, and anti-Trump demonstrations, driven in part by Hillary Clinton's edge in the popular vote, have been significant. When we interviewed him on Friday afternoon, Mr. Trump said he had not heard about some of the acts of violence that are popping up in his name or against his supporters, 
Nor, he said, had he heard about reports of racial slurs and personal threats against African Americans, Latinos, and gays by some of his supporters. I'm very surprised to hear that. I would I, I hate to hear that. I mean, I hate but to hear But you do that. hear it. I don't hear it. I, you do, you're I, I not saw, seeing I saw one or on, two instances. On, on social media? Well, I think media? it's a very small amount. Again, I think it's do the media. Do you want to say anything to those people? I would say don't do it. That's terrible. Because I'm going to bring this country together. They're harassing Latinos, Muslims. I am so saddened to hear that. And I say stop it if it, if it helps. I, I will say this, and I'll say it right to the camera, stop it. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. On Friday, Donald Trump announced that he was changing the head of his transition team. Governor Chris Christie was replaced by Vice President-elect Mike Pence. Mr. Trump also added his three older children to the transition team. Between now and Inauguration Day, the team must fill the new administration with 4,000 political appointees. That's 4,000 new hires in just nine weeks. When we talked to Donald Trump on Friday, the enormity and gravity of his new role was just sinking in. He was subdued. We wondered if, as president, he planned to temper his rhetoric, lower the flame. I want to ask you about the tweet that you put out, I think it was last night or the night before, about these demonstrators. Yeah. You said that they were professional. I, I and said you said it was unfair. Some of them are. Yeah. But are you going to be tweeting and whatever you're upset about just put out there so when you're president? It's a modern form of communication between you know, Facebook and Twitter. And I guess Instagram, I have 28 million people. 28 million so people. So you are going to keep it up. It's a great form of communication. Now, do I say I'll give it up entirely and throw out? That's a tremendous form. I pick up, I'm picking up now, I think I picked up yesterday 100,000 people. I'm not saying I love it, but it does get the word out. When you give me a bad story or when you give me an inaccurate story or when somebody other than you in another network or whatever, because, of course, CBS would never do a thing like that, right? I have a method of fighting back. That's very tough. But you're going to do that as president. I'm going to do very restrained if I use it at all. I'm going to do very restrained. I find it tremendous. It's a modern form of communication. There should be nothing you should be ashamed of. It's, it's where it's at. I, I do believe this. I really believe that um, the fact that I have such power in terms of numbers with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc., I think it helped me win all of these races where they're spending much more money than I spent. You know, I spent my money, a lot of my money, and I won. I think that social media has more power than the money they spent, and I think maybe to a certain extent I proved that. Are you going to ask for a special prosecutor to investigate Hillary Clinton over her emails, and are you, as you had said to her face, going to try and put her in jail? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to think about it. Um, I feel that I want to focus on jobs. I want to focus on health care. I want to focus on the border and immigration and doing a really great immigration bill. We want to have a great immigration bill. 
and I want to focus on all of these other things that we've been talking about you, you know, you, and get the country straightened away. You, you called her crooked Hillary, said you wanted to get in jail. Your people and your audiences kept saying, lock him up. Yeah. Well, she do did, you want she to did put some it, bad things. I mean, she I did know, some bad things. I know, but a special prosecutor? You I think don't want to might... hurt them. I don't want to hurt them. They're, they're good people. I don't want to hurt them. And... I will give you a very, very good and definitive answer the next time we do 60 Minutes together. With that, you look great, honey. we were joined by the next First Lady, Melania Trump. She'll be only the second foreign-born First Lady. She's from Slovenia. John Quincy Adams' wife, Louisa, was the first. You know, I asked your husband if he was at all intimidated and scared about what lies ahead. The enormity. You're about to be first lady. Are you a little nervous about it? A little tense? A little? Well, there is a lot of responsibilities, and uh, it's uh, a lot of work needs to be done. And uh, it's um, your staff on your shoulders, and uh, we will take care of it day by day. I will stay true to myself. I'm very strong and um, tough and confident. And I will listen myself, and I will do what is right and what feels to my heart. What kind of a first lady do you think she's going to be? She will be terrific. Uh, she is very strong and very confident, but she's very warm. And I think she'll have a platform where she'll really be able to do a lot of good. And that's what she wants to do. You know, first ladies usually have a cause. And you've already said you're interested in speaking out against bullying on social media. I think it's very important because a lot of uh, children and teenagers are getting hurt and we need to teach them how to talk to each other, how to treat each other and uh, to, to be able to connect with each other on the right way. It's an ironic choice since her own husband sent out a stream of pretty nasty tweets during the campaign. What about your husband's tweeting? Well, sometimes he, it got him in trouble, but it helped a lot as well. He had unbelievable following. So you never say to him, come on. I did. She does. I, I, yes, of course, I did many times from the beginning of the campaign. But Does uh, he listen to you? Sometimes he listens, sometimes he doesn't. Well, I'm not a big tweeter. I mean, I don't do too many, but they hit home and they have to get a point across. If he does something that you think crossed a line... Will you tell him? Yes, I tell him all the time. All the time? All the time. And does and he listen? Does he? I think he, he hears me, but he will do what he wants to do on the end. He's an adult. He knows the consequences, and I give him my opinion, and he could do whatever he likes with it. Did you ask Melania sort of for permission in a way to run for president? Did you get her approval? Well, I actually sat down with Melania and my whole family, and we talked about it. Uh, Don, Ivanka, Eric, Tiffany, Barron to a lesser extent, but Barron too, um, because in a way he's affected every bit as much. Sure. Maybe more. Mm -hmm. Maybe more. And uh, so we all had a dinner, and I said, I would like to do this. I think I can do a great job, and I wanted to get number one, a consensus, and number two, ideally, their permission. And they all agreed. Your son, Baron, what is he, 10? 10. 10. 
He was on camera the whole time you were giving your acceptance speech. Does he get it? Does he know? He knows. He knows, he knows what's going on, and uh, he's very proud of his dad. Now, you met with Michelle Obama yesterday. Was there any awkwardness, given no. what everybody was saying about everybody in the campaign? No, I didn't feel it. Not at all? No. Wow. Tell us about the meeting. She was a gracious host. Uh, we had a great time, and we talked about uh, raising children in the White House. She was very warm and very nice. You know, she raised the two kids in the White House, but she had her mother mm -hmm. living there. That's an enormous help. Your parents are here, right? They are here. Will they go to Washington with you? Uh, they might. We will see. We will discuss that. Are you prepared, both of you, for the lack of privacy and the intense scrutiny? And, you know, First Ladies are really criticized if one little hair's out of place. Are you both prepared for this? We are used to it, I, yes. I, I will say it is on a different scale, though, because I've had a lot, but I've never had anything like this. You won't be able to walk down the street? I didn't do that for two years already, so, you know, it will just continue. Uh, it's another level, but it will continue. At that point, the discussion turned back to some of the thornier issues Mr. Trump faces. FBI Director James Comey, um, are you going to ask for his resignation? I think that I would rather not comment on that yet. I don't, I haven't made up my mind. I respect him a lot. I respect the FBI a lot. Uh, I think before... Even I though do, they I leak so mind. much? Well, there's been a lot of leaking. There's no question about that. But I would certainly like to talk to him and uh, see him. It's a tough time for him. And I would like to talk to him before I answer a question like that. Sounds like you're not sure. Oh, sure. I'm not sure. I'd, I'd want to see, you know. He's, he may have had very good reasons for doing what he did. Uh, you going to release your tax returns? At the appropriate time, I will release them. But right now, I'm under routine audit. Nobody cares. The only one who cares is, you know, you and a few people that asked that question. Uh, obviously, the public didn't care because I won the election very easily. So they don't care. I never thought they did care. Now, for months, you were running around saying that the system is rigged. The whole thing was rigged. You tweeted once that the Electoral College is a disaster for democracy. I do. So do you still think it's rigged? Well, I, I think the Electoral College... Look, I won with the Electoral College. Exactly. For, but do you, you know, think I it's basically. rigged? Yeah, some of the election uh, locations are. Some of the system is. Uh, I Even hated, though you won, I you're hated, saying that. Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to change my mind just because I won. But I would rather see it where you went with simple votes. You know, you get 100 million votes and somebody else gets 90 million votes and you win. There's a reason for doing this because it brings all the states into play, Electoral College, and there's something very good about that. But this is a different system, but I respect it. I do respect the system. What about vacations? You're not going to take any vacations? You've said that. We have so much work. There's so much work to be done. And I want to get it done for the people. I want to get it done. We're lowering taxes. We're taking care of health care. I mean, there's just so much to be done. So I don't think we'll be very big on vacations, no. Are you going to take the salary, the president's salary? Well, I've never commented on this, but the answer is no. I think I have to, by law, take $1. So I'll take $1 a year. But it's a... I don't even know what it is. Do you know what the salary is? 400000 yeah, No, I'm not going to take the salary. I'm not taking it. 
Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. On Tuesday, Donald Trump reached deep into America's ranks of the discouraged and neglected, a largely white constituency. They feel their America hasn't been great for a long time, and they accepted a promise to make it great again. But Mr. Trump's appeal wasn't just to the disaffected. A map on election night was a sea of red, as he won support across the traditionally Republican South, but also deep into what used to be the blue wall of the Midwest. Hillary Clinton came up short among her own supporters in large cities and affluent suburbs, among minorities, and especially women. Just 51% of college-educated white women voted to make her the first female president. Her base didn't come with the enthusiasm and the turnout she needed to fend off Donald Trump's new and energized coalition. On Friday, Mr. Trump's four older children, Tiffany... Donald Jr., Eric, and Ivanka joined us to talk about their father's surprising victory. Set the scene. It's election night. Your father, no one's expecting him to win, and it begins to dawn on you. Tell us about being in that room. You start to see the states falling. You start seeing Florida come in, and he was declared the winner. And then you saw Ohio, you saw North Carolina, you saw Pennsylvania, you saw... Wisconsin. I mean, you saw these great states, they're all falling. And I think it was when we got to Pennsylvania that, that we knew. And it was amazing. We were high-fiving and we were all hugging as a family. And I actually think our father was the calmest of, of all of us, even though he was really obviously the center of attention. So He it's, went it's, quiet is what I heard. It's a moment I'll, uh, I'll never forget, I can tell you that. I mean, the team was around and everybody's cheering and it was just, it was a, it was a beautiful night. It is hard to put into words the experience or the emotion when your father becomes president of the United States of America. We had enormous pride, joy. It's, it's incredibly exciting, and we're very grateful for the opportunity, and we take that opportunity very seriously. Tiffany. I mean, I don't think we can really prepare for our father becoming president, but we were all there together with everyone that's worked so hard, and my dad has worked so hard, and it's just it's really awe-inspiring. At some point that night and into the next day, calls from well-wishers started pouring in, including, Mr. Trump told us, from both ex-presidents Bush, neither of whom supported him in the campaign. What did the Bushes say when they called you? Well, it was very interesting. I got a call from Father Bush, who is a wonderful man, and he just said, congratulations, that was an amazing campaign. And then I got a call from George, and he said, uh, congratulations, it was great. And, you know, look, it's, it's a tough situation. I went to war with Jeb, and Jeb's a nice guy, but it was a nasty campaign. It was a nasty campaign. And, I mean, I'm disappointed in one thing. He signed a pledge, and I don't know how you sign a pledge and then you don't honor it. It was a rough primary. It was a rough primary, although I think the general was probably just as tough. Probably as a combination, it was the roughest ever. Ivanka, you said that your father's changed in the campaign. How has he changed? I think it's impossible to go through this journey and not change for the better. You meet, and in my father's case, literally millions of Americans, and they speak to you with a candor 
about their struggles, their challenges. They share with you their most intimate stories. So you, you connect with people in a different way, and you grow. Do you think your father's changed? I think as a family, we've changed, to tell you the truth. I mean, how big this platform is is incredible. And I have to say, one of the most rewarding things of my life, and I can speak on behalf of really all of us, is, is fighting by our father's side every single day as you've gone through a grueling, grueling process like this. Don, did you discover something about your father that you didn't know before? You know, I, we know him pretty well, and we've got to you know, be by his side for many years, both as a father and in business. So, you know, the tenacity that he's always shown uh, was just there, but it was just so much more. When I was watching him you know, working 20-hour days, doing seven major speeches to tens of thousands of people and just saying, well, it wasn't triage. Which state are we going to do today? It's we're just going to do them all. We're going to speak mm -hmm. to all of these people. And I think people saw that energy. They fed off that energy. That energy was so much of the movement uh, that he was able to create. And, you know, it, it only furthered what I already knew. I want to ask you all about something that's going on right now around the country. A lot of people are afraid. They're really afraid. African Americans think there's a target on their back. Muslims are terrified. I think it's horrible if that's happening. I think it's built up by the press because, frankly, they'll take every single little incident that they can find in this country, which could have been there before, if I weren't even around doing this, and they'll make it into an event, because that's the way the press is. Do any of you want to say anything about this fear that's out I, there? I think the fears, you know, while they may be there, some fabricated, some not, uh, are totally unfounded. One of the groups that's uh, expressing fear is the LBGTQ group. Um, you and yet I mentioned them at the Republican National Convention. And did. everybody said, that was so great. Um, I have been... You know, I've been a, a supporter. Well, I guess the issue for them is marriage equality. Oh. Do you support marriage equality? I, I, it's irrelevant because it was already settled. It's law. It was settled in the Supreme Court. I mean, it's done. So even if you appoint a judge that... It's done. It, you have... Uh, these cases have gone to the Supreme Court. They've been settled. And uh, I I'm, I'm fine with that. One of the issues that has come up in the campaign is your father's temperament. And he is, himself has said, if someone insults me or says something unkind about me, I'm going to strike back. And now people are saying, well, maybe he should kind of soften that, control that a little. Uh, what, what, how do you think he's going to comport himself as president? I think very presidential. At the same time, my father, if he needs to be a fighter, he can be a fighter. And I think this country, quite frankly needs a fighter, and I think that's what this country elected. So they spent a billion dollars against me on the word temperament. It was given by Madison Avenue. And they thought that by temperament they could maybe, you know, win the election. Obviously it didn't work because we are here and they're not. And I think my strongest asset is my temperament, because I have a temperament where we win, and we're going to start winning again. We're going to win on trade, we're going to win at the borders. We're going to knock out ISIS. You have said that you're going to destroy ISIS. Now, how, how are you going to destroy I don't tell you that. I don't tell you that. Yeah, I'm not like the people going in right now and fighting Mosul, and they announced it four months before they went into Mosul, and everybody now is... It's a tough fight because, number one, the people from the leaders of ISIS have left. What do you, why do I have to tell you that? Troops on the ground? I'm not going to say anything. 
I don't want to tell them anything. I don't want to tell anybody anything. Yeah, but what about the American people? Have, we have great generals. We have great generals. You We're said you knew more than generals. the generals about ISIS. Uh, well, I, I'll be honest with you, I probably do, because <laughs> look at the job they've done. Okay, look at the job they've done. They haven't done the job. Now, maybe it's leadership, maybe it's something else. Who knows? All I can tell you is we're going to get rid of ISIS. Let me ask you about um, Obamacare, uh, which you say you're going to repeal and replace. When you replace it, are you going to make sure that people with preconditions are still covered? Yes, because it happens to be one of the strongest assets. You're going to keep that. Also, with the children living with their parents for an extended period, we're going to... You're going to keep Very that. much try and keep that. Adds cost, but it's very much something we're going to try and keep. And there's going to be a period, if you repeal it and before you replace it, when millions of people well, could lose. We're no? going to do it simultaneously. It'll be just fine. We're not going to have like a two-day period, and we're not going to have a, a two-year period where there's nothing. It will be repealed and replaced, and we'll know. And it'll be great health care for much less money. So... It'll be better health care, much better, for less money. Not a bad combination. Roles during the administration. Um, any of you want a job in your father's administration? So we have an amazing company. You know, one of the fortunate things for, for my father and our father is that he was able to step out of the company to run for commander-in-chief, and I think he's going to rely on us more than ever. And so you'll stay up here. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be in New York, and we'll take care of the business. I think we're going to have a lot of fun doing it, and we're going to make him very proud. People think that you're going to be part of the administration, Ivanka. I'm, no, I'm going to be a daughter. Um, but I've, I've said throughout the campaign that I'm very passionate about certain issues and that I want to fight for them. But you won't be in... Wage equality, child care. These are things that are, are very important for me. I'm very passionate about education. Um, really promoting more opportunities for women. So, you know, there are a lot of things that I feel deeply strongly about, but not in a formal administrative capacity. Let me ask whether any of you think that the campaign has hurt the Trump brand. I don't think it matters. This is so much more important and more serious. And um, so that, I, I, you know, that's, that's the focus. I think what Ivanka is trying to say, who cares? Who cares? This is big league stuff. This is, this is our country. Our country is going bad. We're going to save our country. I don't care about hotel occupancy. It's peanuts compared to what we're doing. Health care, making people better. It's unfair what's happened to the people of our country. And we're going to change it. As simple as that. Now, an update on a story we called the pot vote. Two weeks ago, Dr. John LaPook reported on the benefits and growing pains Colorado has encountered during its nearly three-year experiment with recreational marijuana. Dr. LaPook looked at both health and law enforcement concerns in the Napa Valley of cannabis, Pueblo County. On Tuesday, county voters rejected a ballot measure that would have shut down the recreational pot business there. Also on Tuesday, voters in California, Maine, Massachusetts, and Nevada approved recreational marijuana for those states. Arizona just said no. I'm Bill Whitaker. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, 
were exposed as frauds, but none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Listen to the 48 Hours podcast for shocking murder cases and compelling real-life dramas from one of television's most watched true crime shows. Go behind the scenes of each episode with award-winning CBS News correspondents and producers in Postmortem, a weekly deep dive. Listen to 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. 